0: Chapter twenty of Smuggler's Reef by John Blaine. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter twenty. Read all about it. Jerry Webster came out of the press room with a bundle of papers under his arm, the roar of the presses providing a background for his chant. Extra. Read all about it. Spindrifters smear smugglers. Seamen shows shootin savvy. Simple sap scampers save skin. "'Read all about it.' "'Rick snatched one of the papers. "'Thanks, I will. "'Hey, gang, listen to this.' "'He read the headline aloud. "'Seaford Gunrunners Caught. "'Scotty took a paper, too, "'and read the subhead. "'New night movie camera "'supplies evidence for surprise raid.' "'He grinned at Jerry and Duke Barrows. "'Very restrained. "'Not a purple adjective in the lot. "'Captain Douglas let out a bellow. "'Hey!' you don't mention the state police until the second line of the story call a cop someone i want these guys pinched charge him with serving poisoned coffee captain mike suggested never drank such a brew in my life duke grinned that isn't coffee skipper it's printer's ink with cream and sugar go on rick or someone read the rest of it byline rick said by jerry webster and under that it says copyrighted by the morning record how did you copyright it so quickly duke Send a copy airmail to the copyright office and enclosed a dollar the letter will go out tonight its standard procedure go on read i edited jerry's story so fast i didn't have a chance to enjoy it rick read on a seaford trawler captain four members of his crew and two new yorkers were arrested tonight on gun-running charges after a surprise raid by state police officers culminated a series of events that included the wrecking of the trawler Siebel, the use of a new invention by the two youngest members of the spindrift island foundation to photograph the transfer of arms under cover of darkness on the high seas the kidnapping and maltreatment of a morning record reporter and a fight in the attic of the creek house hotel that was ended by the timely intervention of a retired sea captain rick got the last words out with his last bit of breath scotty looked at jerry with admiration he's not only a distance runner he's a distance rider that was a hundred yards sentence i cannot tell a lie jerry said modestly i did it with my little dictionary written by an ancestor who was also famous noah webster one of the most surprising disclosures rick read on was the reason for the stubborn silence of captain thomas tyler master of the trawler sea bell which was wrecked on smuggler's reef a week ago as reported in previous editions captain tyler maintained an obstinate silence as to the real reason for the wreck of the trawler in the face of pleas from friends and officials he had to maintain that he was solely responsible and that his error in judgment had been caused by liquor after the arrest of the smugglers captain tyler willingly told this reporter that he had discovered the smuggling activities of captain bradford marbeck and roger and james kelso two weeks before that was a good guess we made captain mike said soberly poor tom he was in some spot he knew about the smuggling, but he was like we were, couldn't prove a thing. He could have told the police and asked for protection, but they wouldn't have had grounds for holding Brad and the Kelsos. They would have been free to carry out their threats against his family inside of 24 hours. That's right, Scotty said, but he didn't know any more than we did, what they were smuggling. The axes of police officers had disclosed rifles submachine guns and ammunition in the cases innocently labeled as sewing-machines and no one had been more surprised than the boys thousands of guns and ammunition must have gone out before we caught on rick said what happens to the people that received them that's not our affair captain Douglas told him Since they went to ships and nationals of a foreign country, it's up to the Department of State to take action, if there's going to be any. We filed the story with Universal Press Service. Jerry explained, it's all over the country by this time. Copyright by the Whiteside Morning Record, he grinned. We're modest, Duke and I. You are, anyway, Rick scoffed. Kidnapping and maltreatment of a morning record reporter. Why didn't you get the reporter's name? Jerry turned a little red, but he said loftily, We heroes prefer to remain anonymous. Heroes is right, Duke said dryly. You came within an inch of having a bronze plaque erected to your memory as one who fell in line of duty. What? Only bronze? Jerry looked hurt. Rick gave him a comrade wink jerry's act had brought him close to the ranks of heroes at that if quick thinking and nerve combined with bad luck were any qualification he glanced through the story quickly and found what the young reporter had said about his own part while attempting to gather evidence the morning record reporter who figured in the case was caught by the truckman who delivered the arms to creek house after being beaten bound and gagged he was taken to the hotel his questioning was interrupted by the arrival of brant and scott and that really was modesty jerry had been returning from the boat landing when he passed a big trailer truck that carried the name of a large manufacturer of industrial castings he thought quickly surprised at seeing such a vehicle in whiteside such trucks always used the shorter main route to his positive knowledge there was not a single manufacturing plant on the entire shore road on which whiteside and seaford were located there was a definite chance he decided that the truck might be carrying a load for creek house he knew the smugglers had made fast changes in their plans as witnessed the moving up of the ship sailing there was a strong possibility they had been forced to ask for immediate shipment of contraband too Jerry passed the truck and stopped at the newspaper long enough to scrawl a note to Duke, explaining what had happened. Then he passed the truck again and drove furiously toward Seaford. He went by Salt Creek Bridge and parked his car in a pasture, then ran back to the bridge, made his way into the marsh, and waited. The trailer truck arrived, stopped, and put out flares, and three men got out. They jacked up the rear wheels of the trailer, then started to unload by doing so they had a perfect reason for being there if a police car came along they had only to explain that they had broken an axle and were replacing it and that they had taken out part of their cargo to lighten the load until repairs were completed the stage was no sooner set than up the river came the flatboat from creek house it pushed its way into the marsh toward jerry not until the actual loading started did he discover his bad luck He had taken a fairly well-defined path into the marsh. The path was artificial, made by the Kelsos. They had carried rocks to make both the path and the stone jetty to which the flatboat had come. The deception had worked because the path and jetty surfaces, strong enough to carry the weight of men with heavy cases, were under an inch of mud and water. Jerry had described the end simply. They fell over me. I tried to get away, but there were too many of them. But he had gotten in one good blow. His hand closed over one of the rocks of the path, and he swung it effectively. The state police, hearing his story, made a routine check of doctors and hospitals. Along the route, the truck probably had taken. They assumed it would not turn around on the narrow shore road. The trucker, Jerry had felt, was in a small clinic, two towns below Seaford and an interstate alarm had gone out for the others, giving license numbers and descriptions supplied by the reporter. They wouldn't get far. Jerry's luck had been bad, but Captain Douglas's luck had been good. The accumulated evidence probably would have been enough, but one of Brad's seamen had talked, hoping for a lighter sentence. Rick was most pleased to find that his theory about Smuggler's Light had been close to the truth. The marks on the old tower had been made by a powerful light supplied by Brad Marbeck. Light, once used for night-purse same fishing, was powered by a carbon arc. A cable, connected into the same junction box that supplied Smuggler's Reef light, had furnished the power. The police officers had found signs of tampering in the junction box, but they had called the authorities responsible for the light to make a definite check. The light itself had been stowed in brad Marbek's home one quarter of the cylinder had been blacked out with paint red cellophane was pasted on to another quarter there were still no answers to who had phoned the warning to rick or why carrots had trailed them into whiteside but those things weren't important anyway probably their original guesses had been right the others had fallen silent engrossed in reading jerry's story rick went through it again more carefully the young reporter had done well it was an exciting yarn then he looked at the side pieces other stories dealing with the case written by both duke and jerry in the feverish rush to make the morning paper there was a simple statement by captain killian who long since was asleep in his own bed at seaford there was a photo of rick and scotty with the infrared camera and a story by duke of its use in the collecting of evidence the staff photographer had taken that one after they all returned to Whiteside, accompanying the police and the prisoners to jail. The entire back page was devoted to pictures, some reproductions from Rick's movie and some taken at the jail by the staff photographer. There was one of Captain Mike holding Carrot's rifle, and the caption explained how he had rescued the boys. "'How much for a did you say?' Rick asked Duke slyly. "'Too much.' this will bankrupt me scotty folded his paper we'd better get back to spindrift rick that's right rick knew his folks would be waiting to see the paper too he had phoned them as soon as they reached the jail i'll take you to the landing jerry offered then i'll run captain mike down to seaford never mind captain douglas said i have a patrol car going down that way in fifteen minutes it can drop him off Cap'n Mike shook hands with both of the boys. "'I'll see you tomorrow, I reckon.' "'In the afternoon,' Rick said. "'We'll sleep in the morning.' After the fight at Creek House, Cap'n Mike had rowed them to the Spindrift speedboat in his dory. They had gotten their clothes, but left the boat at the hotel. It would be safe. Police officers would keep an eye on it while guarding the load of arms. Captain Douglas shook hands, too. "'I should make a speech.' he told them with a smile, you know, about your both being good citizens, aiding the police at risk of life and limb, and so on. Rick grinned sheepishly. I'm afraid we weren't thinking about the citizen part of it, Captain. We just... I was about to add that, Captain Douglas laughed. But thanks, anyway. Duke Barrow said, I don't suppose you would accept the coffee we served you as part payment? Scotty snorted aren't you the one said it wasn't coffee all right Deuce's shoulders slumped drive me into debt paying you off go ahead we will rick retorted and don't take the price of these papers you gave us off the amount either the editor laughed okay take them home jerry they'll have to wait until the first of the month for their money just like the rest of our creditors So long, kids, and thanks a million for a swell story. As they drove to the landing, Rick glanced quizzically at Jerry. Well, you asked for it, remember? Jerry was puzzled. The night we went to get a story on the wreck, Scotty explained, didn't you say you wished you would get in on an adventure with us? I certainly did. I didn't know what I was asking for. Believe me. Jerry's grin widened. He touched his head tenderly patting the bruises he had collected then he laughed i was scared silly but you know i kind of enjoyed it rick and scotty broke into laughter too rick was figuring out some changes in the infrared camera attachment on the following monday when scotty came into the room just got back from whiteside with a paper and the mail he announced and look at this he indicated an item on the front page it was a Universal News Service dispatch. Authorities of a republic in the Caribbean had arrested the country's former dictator on a charge of planning a revolution, pointing to a large cache of arms and ammunition found on his estate as evidence. Arrested for complicity was the president of the Campania Maritima Carib y Atlantica. Warrants were being issued for a number of others. That settles that. Rick said. Looks like we stopped a revolution. Where the kids what did it? Scotty boasted. He dropped a letter in front of Rick. Got this too. Look who it's from. The postmark was Bombay. It was from Chada. The first letter since the Hindu boy had left them in New Caledonia to return to India. He's fine. Scotty said. I read it at the post office. His brothers and sisters didn't believe some of his stories, but he's convincing them. Also, he's going to work. He can't tell us yet what his job will be, because it's a sort of secret. Then he won't come back to America for a while, Rick said, disappointed. We won't see him. He grinned, remembering the first time they had met Chata. He's probably at Crawford Market right now, bargaining at the top of his lungs for something he picked up the letter and started to read picturing Chada in his native dress once more at home in bombay rick's mental image was far from the truth as he read the letter Chada was writing to rick and scotty again but this time he was composing an urgent cable laboriously working over the cipher that would conceal its content from his strange enemy the hindu boy was in the hiding place he had chosen deep in the Indian quarter of Singapore, but he knew it was only a temporary refuge. Once he emerged, the shadow would find him again, but if he could succeed in getting to the cable office first, Rick and Scotty would get his message, and they would come. Once the three of them were united again, let the shadow do as it would. Chada finished his composition folded it, and tucked it securely into his turban. Then he slipped through a door into the darkness of the Singapore night. In his ciphered message was the key to an adventure that would plunge his American friends into both darkness and danger in the fabled, terrifying Caves of Course Lincoln, a story to be related in the next volume, The Caverns of Fear. End of chapter 20 End of Smuggler's Reef by John Blaine.